Section 6 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649 by John Winthrop. Section 6, 1635. 11th month, the 13th. Footnote. Here for the first time, the author abandons the Roman names of the months, substituting in accordance with Puritan sentiment a system of numbering, beginning with March as a first month. In this edition, the more familiar names of the months are inserted in italics. The date above is for January 13th, 1634-1635. End footnote. The Church of Boston kept a day of humiliation for the absence of their pastor and other brethren gone to England, and like to be troubled and detained there, and for that the Lord had made a breach upon them by those four which were drowned, as is before set down, at which fast Mr. Cotton preached out of Numbers 35, verse 13, and one of the members taught out of that in Lamentations, chapter 3, 39, wherefore doth a living man complain. Nineteenth. All the ministers, except Mr. Ward, footnote, Nathaniel Ward, minister of Ipswich, author of The Body of Liberties, presently to be mentioned, was a most curious and racy personality. He was bred a lawyer, but taking orders was deprived for nonconformity and came to New England in 1634. Though quite in accord with his contemporaries in orthodoxy and the special spokesman of the prevailing intolerance, he stands in refreshing contrast with the exaggerated gravity and dullness of so many of his brethren. See Tyler, American Literature, Volume 1, page 271 his simple cobbler of agawam savage calls quote, very attractive for its, for its humor and curious for its execrable spirit end quote, end footnote of ipswich met at boston being requested by the governor and assistants to consider of these two cases one what we ought to do if a general governor should be sent out of england two whether it be lawful for us to carry the cross in our banners in the first case they all agreed that if a general governor was sent we ought not to accept him but defend our lawful possessions if we were able otherwise to avoid or protract for the matter of the cross they were divided and so deferred it to another meeting about the middle of this month mr allerton's pinnach came from the french about port royal they went to fetch the two men which had been carried by the french from manchias and to demand the goods taken etc but mr letout made them answer that he took them as lawful prize that he had the authority from the king of france who challenged all from cape sable to cape cod wishing them to take notice and to certify the rest of the english that if they traded to the east of pimiquid he would make prize of them being desired to show his commission he answered that a sword was commission sufficient where he had strength to overcome where they wanted he would show his commission footnote massachusetts in particular boston stood from this time forward in the forefront of the english settlements as they faced the french the latter came at last to call english colonists in general bastonais and so late as our revolution george rogers clark in the far west found that the french and savages confronting him had been incited to quote, fight boston end quote. at the present moment two frenchmen latour and d'alny had been appointed to govern the french claim the jurisdiction of the former extending east of the st croix river of the latter to the west as the western limits of acadie were quite undetermined disputes early rose with the english on the main coast latour and d'alny presently also fell out between themselves the relations of massachusetts with these two men were very trying and occasioned some of winthrop's liveliest pages windsor memorial history of boston volume one page two eighty two in footnote in the end of this month three men had their boat frozen up at bird island as they were coming from deer island so as they were compelled to lodge them all night 
and in the morning they came over the ice to Noddle's Isle, and thence to Moulton's Point in Charleston, and thence over the ice by Mr. Hoff's to Boston. At the same time six others were kept a week at the governor's garden, and in the inn gate with their boat at Mattapan Point, for, near all that time, there was no open place between the garden and Boston, neither was there any passing at Charleston for two or three days, the wind about the northwest three weeks, with much snow and extreme frost. Footnote. Bird Island has disappeared. The governor's garden was no doubt the present governor's island. To a large extent, localities of the harbor retain their ancient names. In footnote. Month 12. February. About the middle of this month, a proper young man, servant to Mr. Bellingham, passing over the ice to Winnesimmet, fell in and drowned. Diverse others fell in, in that and other places, but, by God's providence, were saved. 14. Captain Wigan, governor at Pascataquack, under the Lord Say and Brook, wrote to our governor, desiring to have two men tried here, who had committed sodomy with each other, and that on the Lord's Day, in time of public exercise. The governor and diverse of the assistants met and conferred about it, but did not think fit to try them here. Month 1, March the 4th. A general court at Newtown, Mr. Hooker preached and showed the three great evils. At this court, one of the deputies, footnote, this deputy, so democratic in his ideals, was Israel Stoughton, who later returning to England rose to a lieutenant colonelcy among the Ironsides. His son William was the first lieutenant governor under the charter of William and Mary and chief justice during the witch trials, where he shared in the delusion to which few of his contemporaries were superior. He is more honorably remembered for his gift to Harvard College, where Stoughton Hall perpetuates his name. End footnote was questioned for denying the magistracy among us, affirming that the power of the governor was but ministerial, etc. He had also much opposed the magistrates and slighted them, and used many weak arguments against the negative voice, as himself acknowledged upon record. He was adjudged by all the court to be disabled for three years from bearing any public office. One of the assistants was called to the lower end of the table to answer for refusing to pay towards a rate made by the court and was fined five pounds, which was afterward released. Mr. Endicott was called to answer for defacing the cross in the ensign, but because the court could not agree about the thing, whether the ensigns should be laid by, in regard that many refused to follow them, the whole cause was deferred till the next general court, and the commissioners for military affairs gave order, in the meantime, that all the ensigns should be laid aside, etc. At this court, brass farthings were forbidden, and musket bullets made to pass for farthings. A commission for military affairs was established, which had power of life and limb, etc., Footnote. For a full account of the great power granted this commission, see Massachusetts Colonial Records, Volume 1, page 139. 15th. Two of the elders of every church met at Sagus and spent there three days. The occasion was that diverse of the brethren of that church, not liking the proceedings of the pastor, and withal making question whether they were a church or not, did separate from church communion. The pastor and other brethren desired the advice and help of the rest of the churches, who, not thinking fit to judge of the cause, without hearing the other side, offered to meet at Sagus about it. Upon this the pastor, etc., required the separate members to deliver their grievances in writing, which they were refusing to do, the pastor, etc., wrote to all the churches that, for this cause, they were purposed to proceed against them as persons excommunicated, and therefore desired them to stay their journey, etc., this letter being read at a lecture at Boston, where some of the elders of every church were present, they all agreed, with consent of their churches, to go presently to Sagus, to stay this hasty proceeding, etc. Accordingly, being met, and both parties, after much debate, being heard, it was agreed that they were a true church, though not constituted at first in due order, yet after consent and practice of a church estate had supplied that defect, and so all were reconciled. Month 2, April. 
Some of our people went to Cape Cod and made some oil of a whale, which was cast on shore. There were three or four cast up, as it seems there is almost every year. 26. An alarm was raised in all our towns, and the governor and assistants met at Boston and sent forth a shallop to Cape Ann to discover what ships were there. For the fishermen had brought in word to Marblehead that two ships had been covering upon the coast all the day, one of about 400 tons and the other 350, and were gone into Cape Ann. But it proved to be only one ship of 80 tons bound for Richmond's Isle, and the other a small pinnace of 10 tons. 30th. The governor and assistant sent for Mr. Williams. The occasion was, for that he had taught publicly, that a magistrate ought not to tender an oath to an unregenerate man, for that we thereby have communion with a wicked man in the worship of God, and cause him to take the name of God in vain. He was heard before all the ministers, and very clearly confuted. Mr. Endicott was at first of the same opinion, but he gave place to the truth. Month 3, May the 6th. A general court was held at Newtown, where John Haynes, Esquire, was chosen governor, Richard Bellingham, Esquire, deputy governor, and Mr. Howe and Mr. Dummer, chosen assistants to the former, and Mr. Ludlow, the late deputy, left out of the magistracy. The reason was, partly, because the people would exercise their absolute power, etc., and partly upon some speeches of the deputy, who protested against the election of the governor as void, for that the deputies of the several towns had agreed upon the election before they came, etc., but this was generally discussed, and the election adjudged good. Mr. Endicott was also left out, and called into question about the defacing the cross and the ensign, and a committee was chosen viz. Every town chose one, which yet were voted by all the people, and the magistrates chose four, who, taking the charge to consider the offense, and the censure due to it, and to certify the court, after one or two hours' time, made a report to the court that they found his offense to be great, viz. ration without discretion, taking upon him more authority than he had, and not seeking advice of the court, etc., uncharitable in that he, judging the cross, etc., to be a sin, did content himself to have reformed it at Salem, not taking care that others might be brought out of it also, laying a blemish also upon the rest of the magistrates, as if they would suffer idolatry, etc., and giving occasion to the state of England to think ill of us, for which they had judged him worthy admonition, and to be disabled for one year from bearing any public office, declining any heavier sentence, because they were persuaded he did it out of tenderness of conscience, and not of any evil intent. Footnote. That spirits like Williams and Endicott, extremists in different directions, caused constant anxiety to the wary and tactful leaders, as in these years often evidenced. In footnote. Some petitions of grievances were tendered to the court in the beginning of it, but the court refused to hear any, or to meddle in any courses but making freemen, until the elections were passed. The governor and deputy were elected by papers, wherein their names were written, but the assistants were chosen by papers without names, viz. the governor propounded one to the people, then they all went out, and came in at one door, and every man delivered a paper into a hat, such as gave their vote for the party named, gave in a paper with some figures or a scroll in it, others gave in a blank. The new governor, in his speech to the people, declared his purpose to spare their charge toward his allowance this year, partly in respect of their love showed towards him, and partly for that he observed how much the people had been pressed lately under public charges, which the poorer sort did much groan under. Footnote. The well-to-do Haynes could no doubt afford to perform this gracious act. In footnote. A petition was preferred by many of Dorchester, etc., for releasing the sentence against Mr. Stoughton, the last general court, but it was rejected and the sentence affirmed by the country to be just. Diverse jealousies that had been between the magistrates and deputies were now cleared with full satisfaction to all parties. 
the matter of altering the cross in the ensign was referred to the next meeting the court being adjourned for three weeks it being propounded to turn it to the red and white rose etc and every man was to deal with his neighbors distill their minds who stood so stiff for the cross until we should agree about it which was expected because the ministers had promised to take pains about it and to write into england to have the judgments of the most wise and godly there the deputies having conceived great danger to our state in regard that our magistrates for want of positive law in many cases might proceed according to their discretions it was agreed that some men should be appointed to frame a body of ground of laws in resemblance to a magna carta which being allowed by some of the ministers and the general court should be received for fundamental laws at this general court some of the chief of ipswich desired leave to remove the quascacunken to begin a town there which was granted them and it was named newbury also watertown and roxbury had leave to remove whether they pleased so as they continued under this government the occasion of their desire to remove was for that all towns in the bay began to be much straitened by their own nearness to one another and their cattle being so much increased twenty first a dutch ship of one hundred and sixty tons arrived at marblehead captain hurlston came merchant she came from christopher island she brought one hundred and forty tons of salt and ten thousand weight of tobacco this island lies in eighteen degrees and is about thirty miles in compass inhabited by two colonies one english and another french there is in it about four thousand persons they have three english churches but the people are very wicked as the merchant who dwelt there five years complained the salt is made with the sun in a natural pan half a mile from the sea their rain begins in september and continues till february month four june the third here arrived two judge ships who brought twenty-seven flanders mares at thirty-four pounds a mare and three horses sixty-three heifers at twelve pounds a beast and eighty-eight sheep at fifty shillings a sheep they came from the tessel footnote texel north holland in footnote in five weeks three days and lost not one beast or sheep here arrived also the same day the james a ship of three hundred tons with cattle and passengers which came all safe from southampton within the same time mr graves was master who would come every year for these seven years seven the lord's day there came in seven other ships and one to salem and four more to the mouth of the bay with stores of passengers and cattle they came all within six weeks for preventing the loss of time and drunkenness which sometimes happened by people's running to the ships and the excessive price of commodities it was ordered that one in each town should buy for all etc and should retail the same within twenty days at five per hundred if any came to buy in that time but this took no good effect for most of the people would not buy except they might buy for themselves and the merchants appointed could not disperse so much money etc and the seamen were much discontented yet some of them brought their goods on shore and sold them there sixteenth a bark of forty tons arrived set forth with twenty servants by sir richard saltonstall to go plant at connecticut by a letter from the lord say in report of diverse passengers it was certified to us that captain mason and others the adversaries of this colony had built a great ship to send over the general governor etc which being launched fell in sunder in the midst it appeared likewise by a copy of a petition sent over to us that they had divided all of this country of new england fees between st croix in the east and that of lord baltimore called maryland into twelve provinces disposed to twelve in england who should send each ten men to attend the general governor coming over but the project took not effect the lord frustrated their design footnote the friends of sir ferdinando gorges were too much engrossed at home to aid in the sweeping obliteration of what had been established 
for the quo warranto writ issued against Massachusetts, see Hutchinson Papers, edition 1865, volume 1, page 114. In footnote. Two carpenters going to wash themselves in the river between Mount Woolestan and Wessaguskus were carried away with the tide and drowned. 24th. Mr. Graves in the James and Mr. Hodges in the Rebecca set sail for the Isle of Sable for seahorse, which are there in great number, and wild cows. Mr. John Rose, being cast ashore there in the Mary and Jane two years since, and making a small pinnace of the wreck of his ship, sailed thence to the French upon the main, being thirty leagues off, by whom he was detained prisoner, and forced to pilot them to the island, where they had great store of seahorse teeth and cattle and store of black foxes, and they left seventeen men upon the island to inhabit it. The island is thirty miles long, two miles broad in most places, a mere sand, yet full of fresh water and ponds, etc. He saw about eight hundred cattle, small and great, all red, and the largest he ever saw, and many foxes were of some perfect black. There is no wood upon it, but store of wild peas and flags by the ponds and grass. In the middle of it is a pond of salt water, ten miles long, full of place, soles, etc. The company which went now carried twelve landmen, two mastiffs, a house, and a shallop. August 26. They returned from their voyage. They found there upon the island sixteen Frenchmen who had wintered there and built the lull for it and killed some black foxes. They had killed also many of the cattle, so as they found not above one hundred and forty, and but two or three calves. They could kill but few seahorse, by reason they were forced to travel so far in the sand as they were too weak to stick them, and they came away at such time as they used to go up highest to eat green peas. The winter there is very cold, and snow above knee-deep. Month 5, July 8th. At the general court, Mr. Williams of Salem was summoned, and did appear. It was laid to his charge that, being under question before the magistracy and churches for diverse dangerous opinions, viz. 1. That the magistrate ought not to punish the breach of the first table, otherwise than in such cases as did disturb the civil peace. 2nd. That he ought not to tender an oath to an unregenerate man. 3rd. That a man ought not to pray with such, the wife, child, etc. 4th that a man ought not to give thanks after the sacrament nor after meat etc and that the other churches were about to write to the church at salem to admonish him of these errors notwithstanding the church had since called him to the office of a teacher much debate was about these things the said opinions were judged by all magistrates and ministers who were desired to be present to be erroneous and very dangerous and the calling of him to office at that time was judged a great contempt of authority so in fine Time was given to him in the Church of Salem to consider of these things till the next general court, and then either to give satisfaction to the court, or else to expect the sentence, it being professedly declared to, by the ministers, at the request of the court to give their advice, that he who should obstinately maintain such opinions, whereby a church might run into heresy, apostasy, or tyranny, and yet the civil magistrate could not intermeddle, were to be removed, and that the other churches ought to request their magistrates to do so. At this court, Wessaguskos was made a plantation, and Mr. Hull, a minister in England, and twenty-one families with him, allowed to sit down there, after called Weymouth. A plantation was likewise erected at Bears Cove, after called Hingham. Wealth. Mr. Luxon arrived here in a small pinnace. He fished at the Isle of Shoals, as he had done many years, and, returning to sell his fish at market, was taken in foggy weather, and carried into the bay of Port Royal, and there wrecked upon a small island about blank leagues from the main so he built a pinnace and came hither in her footnote the ship captains messengers back and forth across the sea and guides and protectors of those who came over were naturally held in great respect 
no doubt with good reason, for only bold and skillful men were adequate to the navigation. They recorded the title of Mr., which in those days meant something. Luxon appears as master of the fellowship of a hundred and seventy tons, in footnote. Salem men had preferred a petition at the last general court for some land in Marblehead Neck, which they did challenge as belonging to their town, but because they had chosen Mr. Williams their teacher, while he stood under question of authority, and so offered contempt to the magistrates, etc., their petition was refused till, etc. Upon this the Church of Salem write to other churches to admonish the magistrates of this as a heinous sin, and likewise the deputies, for which at the next general court their deputies were not received until they should give satisfaction about the letter. Month 6, August 16th. The wind having blowed hard at south and southwest a week before, about midnight it came up to northeast and blew with such violence with abundance of rain that it blew down many hundreds of trees near the towns, overthrew some houses, and drove the ships from their anchors. The great hope of Ipswich, being about four hundred tons, was driven on ground at Mr. Hoff's point, and brought back again presently by a northwest wind and ran on shore at Charleston. About eight of the clock the wind came about to northwest very strong, and it being then about high water, by nine the tide was fallen about three feet. Then it began to flow again about one hour, and rose about two or three feet, which was conceived to be that the sea was grown so high abroad with the northeast wind that meeting with the ebb it forced it back again. This tempest was not so far as Cape Sable, but to the south more violent, and made a double tide all that coast. In this tempest the James of Bristol, having one hundred passengers, footnote, among these storm-tossed people was Reverend Richard Mather from Lancastershire, ancestor of the famous Mather family. Of the voyage in which he so nearly perished, he kept an interesting diary, preserved in Young, Chronicles of Massachusetts, volume 22, in footnote. Honest people of Yorkshire, being put into the Isle of Shoals, lost their three anchors, and setting sail, no canvas nor ropes would hold, but she was driven within a cable's length of the rocks at Pescatoquack, when suddenly the wind, coming to northwest, put them back to the Isle of Shoals, and, being there ready to strike upon the rocks, they let out a piece of their mainsail and weathered the rocks. In the same tempest a bark of Mr. Allerton's was cast away upon Cape Ann, and twenty-one persons drowned, among the rest one Mr. Avery, a minister in Wiltshire, a godly man, with his wife and six children, were drowned. None were saved but one Mr. Thatcher and his wife, who were cast on shore, and preserved by a powder horn and a bag with a flint, and a goat and a cheese, cast on shore after them, and a truss of bedding and some other necessities, and the third day after a shallop came thither to look for another shallop which was missing in the storm, and so they were preserved. So as there did appear a miraculous providence in their preservation. The general court gave Mr. Thatcher twenty-six point thirteen point four pounds towards his losses, and diverse good people gave him besides. The man was cast on shore, where he had been, as he thought, a quarter of an hour beaten up and down by the waves, not being able to swim one stroke, and his wife sitting in the scuttle of the bark, the deck was broke off and brought on shore as she stuck in it. One of the children was then cast dead on shore, and the rest never found. Footnote. The sufferings of Parsons Avery and Thatcher are described by Cotton Mather in an interesting and characteristic passage, Magnalia, Book 1, Chapter 2. Here we are told that these outer ledges were named from the event, Avery's fallen Thatcher's woe, names not yet forgotten. Parson Avery of Newbury and his swan song find noble commemoration in the ballad of Whittier. In footnote. Gabriel lost at Pimiquid, and Mr. Witheridge and the Dartmouth ships cut all their masts at St. George. The tide rose at Naragnesat, fourteen feet higher than ordinary, and drowned eight Indians flying from their wigwams. 
at this time a french ship came with commission from the king of france as they pretended and took penobscot a plymouth trading house and sent away the men which were in it but kept their goods and gave them bills for them and bade them tell all the plantations as far as forty degrees that they would come with eight ships next year and to supplant them all but by a letter which the captain wrote to the governor of plymouth it appeared that they had commission from monsieur rosalie footnote plowed rosalie governor of acadian canada in footnote commander at the fort near cape britain called la havre to displant the english as far as pimiquid and by it they professed all courtesy to us here mr williams pastor of salem being sick and not able to speak wrote to his church a protestation that he could not communicate with the churches in the bay neither would he communicate with them except they would refuse communion with the rest but the whole church was grieved herewith the dorchester men being set down at connecticut near the plymouth trading house the governor mr bradford wrote to them complaining of it as an injury in regard of their possession and purchase of the indians whose right it was and the dutch sent home into holland for commission to deal with our people in connecticut footnote see bradford in this series page three twenty five september first at this general court was the first grand jury who presented above one hundred offences and among others some of the magistrates at this court mr Innicott made a protestation and justification of the letter formerly sent from salem to the other churches against the magistrates and deputies for which he was committed but the same day he came and acknowledged his fault and was discharged diverse lewd servants viz six ran away and stole a skiff and other things a commission was granted at the general court to captain trask to fetch them and other such from the eastward he pursued them to the isle of shoals and so to pascataquack where in the night he surprised them in a house and brought them to boston the next court they were severely whipped in order to pay all charges etc at this court there was granted to mr buckley and blank footnote this was the reverend peter buckley who with major simon willard now founded the first town beyond tidewater concord Bulkeley came from bedfordshire a youth of good family a fellow of st john's college cambridge and later married to a gentlewoman whose nephew is thomas allen lord mayor of london late in life a second wife was daughter of sir richard chitwood in the well-placed puritan families alliance with the ministers was held desirable and honorable Bulkeley, though of quick temper was greatly respected and from his ample estate was liberal to harvard college and to his indentured servants the founders of concord were twelve families who seemed to have followed simon willard from kent it was an excellent stock the name of the settlers appearing and reappearing in historical and literary connections down to the present moment cotton mather magnalia part two chapter ten compares bulkley to Farrell, the genevan divine quo twine fortias than whom no one thundered louder End footnote. merchant and about twelve more families to begin a town at muscatiquid for which they were allowed six miles upon the river and to be free from public charges three years and it was named concord a town was also begun above the falls of charles river at the dutch plantation this summer a ship's longboat was overset with a gust and five men in her who gat upon her keel and were driven to sea four days in which time three of them were dropped off and were drowned and the fifth day the fourth being sore beaten and pained with hunger and thirst wilfully fell off and was drowned soon after the wind came up at southeast and carried the boat with the fifth man to the long island and being only able to creep on shore he was found by the indians and preserved he was grown very poor and almost senseless with hunger and watching and would say that he saw such and such come to give him meat etc footnote the episode is graphically described in 
Voyages of David Peterson de Vries, see Collections of the New York Historical Society, Second Series, Volume 3, page 75. The boat's crew belonged to de Vries' ship. In footnote, the Plymouth men had hired the Great Hope to go to displant the French and regain their possession at Penobscot. The master, Mr. Gerling, was to have it for 20 pounds. They sent their bark with him and about 20 men, but when they came, they found the French had notice and had so strongly entrenched themselves, being 18, as, having spent nearly all their powder and shot, the bark left the ship there and came here to advise with us what further to do, for they had lately lost another bark laden with corn and could not spare this to send back again. The general court, being assembled, agreed to aid them with men and munition, and therefore wrote to them to send one with commission to treat with us about it, resolving to drive them out whatsoever it should cost, yet first to put them to bear the charge, if it might be, for we saw that their neighborhood would be very dangerous to us. Footnote, see Bradford, pages 319 through 321. The next week they sent Mr. Prince and Captain Standish to us with commission to treat. Four of the commissioners gave them a meeting, which grew to this issue, that they refused to deal further in it, otherwise than as a common cause of the whole country, and so to contribute their part. We refused to deal in it, otherwise than as in their aid, and so at their charge, for indeed we then had no money in the treasury, neither could we get provision of victuals on the sudden for one hundred men which were to be employed, so we deferred all to further counsel. Footnote. The pressure from the French had a certain good effect in causing the English colonies to stand closely together. The Dutch, though looked on with jealousy, were, as Protestants, less objectionable than the Catholic neighbors. End footnote. Month 8, October 6. Two shallops, going laden with goods to Connecticut, were taken in the night with an easterly storm and cast upon Brown's Island, near the Gurnet's Nose, and all men drowned. Footnote. The island has nearly disappeared, a dangerous shoal remaining, on which, from Burial Hill in Plymouth, one today may see the surf beating. In footnote, here arrived two great ships, the Defense and the Abigail, with Mr. Wilson, pastor of Boston, Mr. Shepherd, Mr. Jones, and other ministers, amongst others, Mr. Peter, pastor of the English church in Rotterdam, who, being persecuted by the English ambassador, who would have brought this and other churches to the English discipline, and not having had his health these many years, intended to advise with the ministers here about his removal. Footnote. These were important arrivals, the freight of the two ships counting for much, and several of the personages on board surpassing in consequence all but two or three of their predecessors. Thomas Shepard of Emmanuel College, Cambridge, soon took the place of Hooker at Newtown, and was a light of a special brilliancy. Though but thirty years old, he soon made a great name, dying, however, in his prime before his usefulness was fully rounded. Wilson always affected powerfully his environment, and the younger John Winthrop was only inferior to his father as a state founder. No man was more profoundly involved in the currents of this troubled time, as well in Europe as in America, than the Reverend Hugh Peter, or Peters. He landed in Boston, a man of thirty-seven, already widely experienced and distinguished. A boy from Cornwall, he came to Trinity College, Cambridge, and at once after attaining maturity became a famous preacher, drawing great crowds at St. Sepulchre's in London. He went to Germany in the Thirty Years' War to see Gustavus Adolphus, and afterwards settled in Rotterdam as friend and successor of Dr. William Ames, a Puritan worthy of the first rank. Adopting the principles of the independence, he at last sought New England, his steps thitherward being hastened perhaps by the fact that through his wife he was allied with the Winthrops. 
From the first, he played a leading part, helping the colony more through an energetic pushing of practical schemes, fisheries, shipbuilding, trade enterprises, than by his professional ministrations. In the church, his spirit was less liberal than it afterwards became among different surroundings. Particular acts of his may be disapproved, but on the whole, the colony was much better for his being in it. After his return to England in 1641, his life became in the highest degree eventful. He threw himself as an independent into the Civil War, showing surpassing power as a preacher, but using his practical ability and narrative skill in the most varied ways. Fairfax and Cromwell valued his counsel and used his executive ability. He was the especial bête noir of the Cavaliers and Presbyterians, who regarded him as a character almost infernal. Yet to individual opponents he often showed great kindness and did much to ameliorate the horrors of war. Through clouds of unmeasured abuse, we at this distance can make out a figure beset with limitations but endowed with large ability, intense zeal and sincerity, who strove to good purpose for worthy ends. At the Restoration he was a particular mark for vengeance, it being alleged that he and Cornet Joyce were the masked headmen who did duty on the scaffold at the execution of Charles I. This he denied, and also many other accusations. The prosecution was pitiless, and he perished in 1660 through unspeakable humiliation and torture. Firth, in the Dictionary of National Biography, S.V. End footnote. The special goodness of the Lord appeared in this, that the passengers came safe and hail in all the ships, though some of them long passages. The Abigail, ten weeks from Plymouth, with two hundred and sixty persons, and many cattle, infected also with the smallpox, yet, etc. There came also John Winthrop the Younger, with commission from the Lord Say, Lord Brooke, and diverse other great persons in England, to begin a plantation at Connecticut, and to be governor there. They also sent men and ammunition, and two thousand pounds in money, to begin a fortification at the mouth of the river. Here came also one Mr. Henry Vane, footnote. Henry Vane, for his abilities, his heroic life and death, his services to Anglo-Saxon freedom, which makes him a significant figure even to the present moment, may well be regarded as the most illustrious character who touches early New England history. While his personal contact with America was only for a brief space, his life became a strenuous upholding of American ideas. If government of, by, and for the people is the principle which English-speaking men feel especially bound to maintain, the life and death of Vane contributed powerfully to cause this idea to prevail. He was born in 1612 of an ancient lineage, his father being famed as a diplomatist and statesman, a courtier favored by both king and queen. Though Vane was scarcely beyond boyhood, he had traveled widely in Europe, seen much of great men and events, and shown independence of character by embracing austere Puritanism, thus sacrificing his prospects and incurring the displeasure of friends. His course in New England, which Winthrop well described, though showing boyish indiscretion and shortcoming, is prophetic of great things, both as to his force and high purpose. Returning to England after less than two years' stay, he becomes the friend of Pym, Hampton, Milton, and Cromwell, and in due time, as his adversary Baxter puts it, became, quote, within the long parliament that which Cromwell was without, end quote, the recognized leader. Republican ideas sprang up first among the rank and file of the victorious Ironsides, but Vane embraced them in due time, striving in the forefront for popular government during the era of the Commonwealth. Long the warm friend of Cromwell, he parted from Cromwell when the latter at last despaired of popular government. He sought for England not freedom alone, but order as well, maintaining in the healing question that by a people's convention fundamentals should be laid down for the guidance and restraint of the lawmakers, 
a written constitution, therefore framed according to the American idea. He went down fighting to the last in a struggle that was premature, sealing his faith by martyrdom in 1662. See Firth in the Dictionary of National Biography and the Lives of Vane by Sykes, Upin, Forster, Ireland, and Hosmer. In footnote. Son and heir to Sir Henry Vane, comptroller of the king's house, who, being a young gentleman of excellent parts, and had been employed by his father when he was ambassador in foreign affairs, yet being called to the obedience of the gospel, forsook the honors and preferments of the court to enjoy the ordinance of Christ in their purity here. His father, being very averse to this way, as no way savoring the power of religion, would hardly have consented to his coming hither, but that, acquainting the king with his son's disposition and desire, he commanded him to send him hither and gave him license for three years' stay here. This noble gentleman, having order from the said lords and others, treated with the magistrates here, and those who were to go to Connecticut, about the said design of the lords to this issue, that either the three towns gone hither should give place upon full satisfaction, or else sufficient room must be found there for the lords and their companions, etc., or else they would divert their thoughts and preparations some other ways. November 1st. Mr. Vane was admitted a member of the Church of Boston. October. At this general court, Mr. Williams, the teacher at Salem, was again convented, and all the ministers in the bay being desired to be present, he was charged with the said two letters, that to the churches, complaining of the magistrates for injustice, extreme oppression, etc., and the other to his own church, to persuade them to renounce communion with all the churches in the bay, as full of anti-Christian pollution, etc. He justified both these letters, and maintained all his opinions, and, being offered further conference or disputation, and a month's respite, he chose to dispute presently. So Mr. Hooker was appointed to dispute with him, but could not reduce him from any of his errors. So the next morning, the court sentenced him to depart out of our jurisdiction within six weeks, all the ministers save one approving the sentence, and his own church had him under question also for the same cause, and he, at his return home, refused communion with his own church, who openly disclaimed his errors, and wrote an humble submission to the magistrates, acknowledging their fault and joining with Mr. Williams in that letter to the churches against some, etc. Fifteenth. About sixty men, women, and little children went by land toward Connecticut with their cows, horses, and swine, and after a tedious and difficult journey arrived safe there. The pinnace which Sir Richard Salton saw stint the possession of a great quantity of land at Connecticut was, in her return to England, cast away upon the island sable. The men were kindly entertained by the French there, and had passage to Le Havre, some twenty leagues east of Cape Sable, where Monsieur Commander of Rossel, footnote, the Chevalier Rasselier was chief governor of Acadia, La Tour, and Alne, already mentioned being his subordinates. Windsor, Memorial History of Boston, Volume 1, page 283. In footnote, was governor, who entertained them very courteously, and furnished them with a shop to return to us, and gave four of their company passage into France, but made them pay dear for their shallop, and in their return they put into Penobscot at such time as girling ship lay there, so that they were kept prisoners there till the ship was gone, and then sent to us with a courteous letter to the governor. A little before, our governor had written to him, viz. Monsieur de Elny, to send them home to us, but they were come before. It is useful to observe, as we go along, such a special providences of God as were manifested for the good of the plantations. Mr. Winslow, the late governor of Plymouth, being this year in England, petitioned the council there for a commission to withstand the intrusions of the French and Dutch, which was likely to take effect, 
though undertaken by ill advice for such precedents might endanger our liberty that we should do nothing hereafter but by commission out of england but the archbishops being incensed against him as against all these plantations informed the rest that he was a separatist etc and that he did marry etc and thereupon gate him committed but after some few months he petitioned the board and was discharged another providence was in the voyage of mr winthrop the younger and mr wilson into england he returning in the winter time in a small and weak ship bound for barnstaple was driven by foul weather upon the coast of ireland not known by any in the ship and were brought through many desperate dangers into galloway where they parted mr winthrop taking his journey over land to dublin and mr wilson by sea and being come within sight of lundy in the mouth of severn they were forced back by tempest to kinsale where some ships perished in their view mr wilson being in ireland gave much satisfaction to the christians there about new england mr winthrop went to dublin and from thence to antrim in the north and came to the house of one sir john quatworthy footnote sir john quatworthy became intimate later as a member of the long parliament in footnote the evening before the day when diverse godly persons were appointed to meet at his house to confer about their voyage to new england by whom they were thoroughly informed of all things and received great encouragement to proceed on in their intended course from thence he passed over into scotland and so through the north of england and all the way he met with persons of quality whose thoughts were toward new england who observed his coming among them as a special providence of god november third at the court of assistance john pratt of newtown was questioned about the letter he wrote into england wherein he affirmed diverse things which were untrue and of ill reports for the state of the country as that there was nothing desirable but rocks and sands and salt marshes etc he desired respite for his answers to the next morning then he gave it in writing in which by making his own interpretation of some passages and acknowledging his error in others he gave satisfaction this was delivered in under his own hand and the hands of mr hooker and some of the ministers and satisfaction acknowledged under the hands of the magistrates mr winthrop jr the governor appointed by the lords for connecticut sent a bark of thirty tons and about twenty men with all needful provisions to take possession of the mouth of connecticut and to begin some building ninth about this time an open pinnace returning from connecticut was cast away at manmet bay but all the men being six were saved and came to plymouth after they had wandered ten days in extreme cold and deep snow not meeting with any indian or other person twenty sixth there came twelve men from connecticut they had been ten days upon their journey and had lost one of their company drowned in the ice by the way and had been all starved but that by god's providence they lighted upon an indian wigwam connecticut river was frozen up the fifteenth of this month mr hugh peter preaching at boston and salem moved the country to raise the stock for fishing as the only probable means to free us from that oppression which the seamen and others held us under twenty eighth here arrived a small norsey bark of twenty-five tons sent by the lord say etc with one gardener footnote this was lion gardener building and commander of the fort at saybrook at the mouth of the connecticut during the pequot war who is brave and intelligent work base is the dutch work boss engineer work boss in footnote an expert engineer or work boss and provisions of all sorts to begin a fort at the mouth of connecticut she came through many great tempests yet through the lord's great providence her passengers twelve men two women and goods all safe mr winthrop had sent four days before a bark with carpenters and other workmen to take possession of the place for the dutch intended to take it and to raise some buildings a great shallop coming from pascatequack in a northeast wind with snow lost her way and was forced into anasquam and going out with a northwest wind 
through the unskillfulness of the men, was cast upon the rocks and lost a hundred pounds worth of goods. A shallop of William Lovell, laden with goods to Salem, worth a hundred pounds, was, by foul weather, put into Plymouth, and coming out, the men went aboard a small bark by the way, and their shallop broke loose and was lost, and about two months after was found about Nasset, footnote, Eastham, in footnote, not much hurt, and the goods were, most of them, saved by some Plymouth men who had notice of it by the Indians. Tenth Burr, December, tenth. The ship Rebecca, about sixty tons, came from Connecticut, and brought in her about seventy men and women, which came down to the river's mouth to meet the barks which would have brought their provisions. But, not meeting them, they went aboard the Rebecca, which, two days before, was frozen twenty miles up the river, but a small rain falling set her free, but coming out, she ran on ground at the mouth of the river, and was forced to unlaid. They came to Massachusetts in five days, which was a great mercy of God, for otherwise they had all perished with famine, as some did. While the Rebecca lay there, the Dutch sent a sloop to take possession of the mouth of the river, but our men get two paces on shore, and would not suffer them to land. The second and third of this month fell a snow about knee-deep, with much wind from the north and northeast. Mr. Norton, footnote, John Norton, from Hertfordshire, after the usual shaping at Cambridge, emerged into nonconformity, and now at twenty-nine, with a reputation for good parts, appeared in America. He became teacher at Ipswich, and during Winthrop's life makes no great figure in affairs. On Cotton's death he became his successor, which some hold to have been unfortunate on account of the fierce fanaticism with which he prosecuted Quakers and Baptists. Brooks Adams, Emancipation of Massachusetts, pages 102 at Sequiari. At the Restoration, the colony sent him with Simon Bradstreet to England to make peace with Charles II. Naturally, the representatives of a colony so well known for its sympathy with the lost cause underwent hardship and contumely, which perhaps contributed to Norton's death in 1663. In footnote, a godly man and a preacher in England, coming with his family to the Massachusetts, the ship wherein he was was by contrary ones put into Plymouth, where he continued preaching to them all the winter, and although Mr. Smith, their pastor, gave over his place that he might have it, and the church used him with all respect and large offers etc yet he left them and came to massachusetts alleging that his spirit could not close with them etc end of section six